Well, if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, we're going to be in verses 12 to 14. Uh, Some of you might be seated in a row where there's a Bible in front of you. It's either blue or black cover. Romans is about three quarters of the way through your Bible. It's after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans. And the big number is the chapter number, and the small numbers are the verse numbers. And so we're just going to camp out in three verses because we've been journeying through the book of Romans to try to understand who God is. And we want to learn who God is because at the deep, deepest part of who we are, we all realize that there is a God. You know how I know that? Uh, years ago, I, got, I had the privilege of serving college students in Germany. I remember uh, talking with some of the students, and they didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't believe that there was a God. And I just said, how do you know what is right or wrong? I remember in particular sitting in a cafe across from a student, and he said, I know what is right and wrong based on the general consensus of people. Essentially what he was saying, that when the majority of people think something is right, it must be right. Now that doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't make sense because uh, this past week I had the opportunity to visit the Holocaust Museum. And if you know anything about the Holocaust, it was a tremendously horrific period in human history in which Adolf Hitler and the Nazis of Germany exterminated six million Jews. Now, if it's only a matter of majority winning, then why do we have a Holocaust Museum? Because there were six million Jews, but there are far more Germans in that country than Jews. You see, we all know, we all recognize that it can't just be majority wins because sometimes the majority does wicked things. And so we recognize that there's got to be some sort of standard outside of us because if we don't have a standard outside of us, what's the standard? It's you and me. And that doesn't go well, right? I mean, tomorrow morning, get in your car, drive over to Dunkin' Donuts, and just watch what happens when you think you're God, and the guy on 4th Street turning left thinks they are God. My guess is there's going to be some sparks flying trying to get into that Dunkin' Donut parking lot, right? There's going to be anger. We both can't be God. We have to have some sort of standard that is outside of us. And when we have that standard outside of us, we we begin to realize that we don't get the ability to make choices, but that standard makes those choices. And what Paul has been arguing for and really assuming is that we recognize deep down, according to Romans 1, that there is a God and that God has a standard. And because he has a standard, he reigns and rules over all things. You see, you and I are not actually free. What Paul showed us last week and what Paul is going to show us this week is that you and I are not free. We are serving one thing or another. So about, I don't know, 10 years ago now, my brother-in-law joined the Air Force. And so he went down to Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio. 
if you've ever been there. It's a pretty beautiful location. And so he went there. He did his basic training. And if you've ever been through the military, anybody here go through the military? Okay. Well, okay. Yeah, so, some, or you might have had family members go through the military. And my guess is that there are a number of reasons that you go through basic training. But one of those reasons, whether spoken or not, my guess is one of those reasons that you go through basic training is that they want to break you down so that you are not independent, that you are not doing what you want to do, but you realize that you actually serve at the will of the President of the United States. You don't get to walk into your commanding officer and say, uh, I like Greek food, so I think we should attack Greece. Now, some of you are like, that'd be awesome, right? But we don't, we don't actually do that. We recognize that when we join the military, we no longer serve ourselves, but we serve another. We don't get the option. And the same is true when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, we are free from this domain and this reign and this rule of the world, but we're not free to do whatever we desire we're free to serve under the domain and rule of our King, Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's going to show us this morning. In fact, what he's going to tell us is that God's dominion, that God has dominion, he has reign, he has rule, his dominion must, there's no question, there's no if you want to, if I want to, it must determine our daily direction. That when he comes and he rescues us and gives us life, he sets us on a new path, and that new path must now determine our direction in life. And so with that, would you stand with me as we read God's word? We stand because you need to hear from God, not me, and we want to honor the fact that God is now speaking to us. And so Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. So we are working through the book of Romans, and like I said earlier, Paul is assuming that we have some baseline knowledge of God. He even says that in Romans chapter 1. He says that all you got to do is look out to the world and recognize there's got to be a God out here. And in the middle of that, Paul shows us that God has a plan for all of eternity, and the plan is to rescue you and I and bring us into a relationship with him. And that's good news, church. I, I don't know how you come in this morning. Maybe you've done something that you uh, feel guilty over and you're beating yourself up for. 
And the reality is, is that Jesus already knows that. Jesus already paid for that on the cross. And now Paul is telling us that God is offering to you and I this gospel, this good news that you can be forgiven and that you can be given a right standing with God. And that's powerful, isn't it? It's so powerful it should change the way we live. And it's so powerful that each one of us should actually begin to think differently about our lives. Because Paul then goes on to show for three chapters that none of us are better than the others. In fact, no one seeks for God. No one is righteous. Not even one. Isaiah will say that even our, even our good deeds are like filthy rags to God. And yet in the middle of that, so often what we, what we typically do is we, we think if we just have enough muster, if we just have enough uh, strength or enough ability, then maybe we can obey our way to God. Let me ask you, how's, how's that going for you? <laughs> I, I've said this before, I've yet to have anyone come up to me, willingly tell me how their week was, let me type it on the screen and show the rest of you. Right, Because we, we, we know that our week it just doesn't line up. We know that we fail. We know that we're broken. And so our ability is actually no ability. It's weakness. And yet in the middle of that, Paul tells us in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his own love for us. Not when you had it all together, but when you were still sinners. When we had nothing together, Christ died for us. He gives us life, and now we can be with him. And yet, if you follow that line of thinking, you can be caught up into what Paul eventually gets to at the end of Romans 5 and beginning of Romans 6. Paul eventually will say at the end of Romans 5 that, hey, the more you sin, the more you fail, the more broken you are, instead of feeling this entire condemnation without hope, what you need to remember is that you're given amazing grace. We're actually going to sing that later. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And yet, if we're not careful, we can think, okay, so if I sin more, then I get more grace. Might as well sin more, because then I'll get more grace. And Paul started last week, and he said, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? What's Paul saying? He's saying that if we have come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are actually dead to our sin, and we should be alive to the things of Jesus Christ. And this morning, Paul's going to challenge us with that. Because so often what happens is we, we do one of two things when it comes to our sin, our rebellion against God. Either we mope around as if there's no hope, or we act like it does not matter. And this morning, Paul's going to show us three truths that will hopefully correct both extremes and show us how we might walk in the truth in life of the good news of Jesus Christ. So let's look at these three truths. The first one is that God's dominion, 
that God's dominion sets us free from unrighteousness. Okay? We need to get something clear. This word dominion just means kingship or lordship or ruling. That when God rules everything, and when we submit to that rule by coming to faith in Jesus, that actually frees us from living in this category of sin and unrighteousness. That before coming to faith in Jesus, the only option you and I have is to rebel against God. But when he comes, he actually sets us free from that rebellion. And notice how Paul shows us that. Look with me at verse 12. He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Now we need need to pause for a second. Notice he's commanding us. This is a command. That if we follow Jesus, this is a command. And this is not a hopeless command that we have no power to obey. We're going to see that at the end. That we actually have power to obey. But he commands us to not let sin reign. Well, how does sin typically reign? It can reign in your hearts, it can reign in your body, and it can reign in your mind. One of the things I think that we as humans have to offer in this world that we are so uh, maybe ignorant of is our words. You know, some of you are great uh, craftsmen, some of you are great with numbers, some of you are great with medicine, and that's uh, amazing, like we need that in our world. But the number one thing I'm realizing that changes the world is our words. And it shouldn't be a shock, right? Because if you go back to the beginning of the Bible, you'll see in Genesis 3, as Adam and Eve are in the garden, enjoying this fellowship together, enjoying the fellowship with God, what breaks all of it apart? Words. Satan coming in as a serpent, beginning to say, did God really say? He began to insert these lies into our minds about who God is, And they are half-truths. Like Satan didn't just completely attack God. He just said, well, did God really say that? It's kind of this sly, halfway lie. And now, today, we continue to wreak the havoc of that, right? That so often our struggles boil down to the lies that we're believing. And if we're not careful, we just kind of give ourselves to those lies and they just reign free in our life. And so one of the ways that we fight that is we actually recognize some of the lies that we're believing. And I think there are three primary lies that if we're not careful, within the church, we can begin to believe that we need to fight. The first one is that God helps those who help themselves. Ever heard that one before? Ever said that one before? Right? It's so believable. Well, yeah, if you're not going to help yourself, then God's not going to help you. Well, just read Romans 1 through 3. Romans 1 through 3 says that we can help ourselves. That we don't seek after God. We don't do any righteous deeds. We have nothing. Romans 5, 8 that I quoted earlier 
in our sin is when God demonstrated his love. We have nothing to offer. And so when we say to others, God helps those who help themselves, what we're really saying is something that is impossible. And we're actually speaking a truth about God that is really a lie. That God actually helps those who can't help themselves and realize they can't help themselves and come humbly asking for help. But when we say that God helps those who help themselves, what we're really saying is we don't care. Until you clean yourself up, then we'll care. That's contrary to what Jesus tells us, right? But then the second thing that I think is so prevalent right now is just this idea that you're unique. That you just need to press into your uniqueness. However you're made, you need to press into that. And yet, if we're not careful, we're missing this whole letter. Paul's going to later show us in Romans chapter 9 that we need to rejoice with those who rejoice. He's going to tell us that we need to use our gifts to build up the body of Christ, to encourage one another, to challenge one another. And so God may have gifted you a certain way, but that gifting is not to say that you are better than other people. That gifting is actually meant to be used here to encourage and build one another up and to help each other. And that's my, that's my dream for us, church, that we would actually see the gifts that God has given and not to say, look at me, but rather, look at how I can serve and let me serve others. But then there's a third lie that Satan is telling us, and that is that you need to take care of yourself, that you just need time for yourself. You need to devote time for yourself. Think about what's at the center of that. You are. Look at verse 19. We're going to look at this next week, but look at verse 19. Paul says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. We are to present our bodies to righteousness, to God. And we're going to see that even in our passage in verse 13 and 14 that we are actually not called to be about ourselves, but called to submit ourselves to Jesus. We don't need more time by ourselves. We We need more time with Jesus. We need him to change us. And if we're not careful, we can begin to believe these lies and their slow and subtle shifts that, that, that begin to cause us to wander away from the Lord. You know, I, I've used this illustration before, but, but one degree off looks, looks like right on the line. You know, this week we got a new printer and they printed off all these pages and they put these lines together and which one is actually together and which one is jagged like this and which one's jagged like that. Have you ever done that? That's annoying, right? Because you're looking at it, you're like, ah, I can't see, I can't see. But if I don't go through that process, when we print off your bulletins, You're going to be like, I can't read that then. The line looks so close. But when we start printing your bulletin, the line will be so far off. 
And that's the, that's the key. We've got to actually know these lies because if we're not careful, we're going to be so far off. And yet, Paul doesn't leave us there. He actually shows us that we have power to fight this. That it's not just, hey, don't let this happen, but he actually shows that, that we have the power to fight this. He, he will tell us in another book, in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Paul tells us that no temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and if you are tempted, he will provide a way out. Church, that should be freeing, right? Because so often things come at us in life and we just feel like, oh man, I've got no power, no ability to resist, no ability to say no. And what Paul just told us in 1 Corinthians 10 is that temptation will come, but you can say no because God always provides a way out. The question is, will we follow God's way out? Or will we follow our sin? But there's always a way out for those who follow Jesus Christ. You see, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, there is actually no way out. You have to actually come to Jesus Christ. Believe in the fact that he is God. Believe in the fact that he died. Believe in the fact that he came back to life. And believe in the fact that now he gives us your, his spirit. And it's through that power that we can now resist sin. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we need to take that and begin to apply that to our life. Actually follow the Spirit's power in our life. Use the Spirit to be able to resist. And notice the kind of resisting that we should do. Look at verse 13. Well, verse, end of verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Paul's saying, don't, don't go down the passion road. Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Paul is using here language of offering. In the Old Testament, that first part of the Bible, uh, we see that the people of God come with offerings that, that we're going to see next week that the wage of sin is death. And so they were called to bring a spotless lamb and, and butcher it and that death would cover over their sin. That was their offering to God. And now Paul is telling us that we should not take our members and present them as offering for unrighteousness. In fact, in Romans 12, 1, he's going to tell us that we should be renewed in our mind and that we should present ourselves as living sacrifices instead to God. That our whole life ought to be about who God is and living for God. And that this is not just a, a mind exercise, but this is a whole body exercise. Anybody like to play games? Okay, a few of us, right? If, have you heard of the game Logo Party? I know some of you have. Have you heard of the, the game Logo Party? So Logo Party is this wonderful game that uh, has these different things that you describe a logo or you show a picture and people guess the logo. 
if you've ever played with me, you realize that this is a full body experience. This isn't me just sitting there kind of guessing. This is me like getting up, getting ready, like the, the timer's going to go off and I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm locked in. And then you get annoyed. That's normally what happens when you play that game with me because I love the game and I'm good at it. It's a whole body experience. And Paul is saying that when we present ourselves to unrighteousness, it is a whole body experience. It's not just, oh, I, I, my finger did that. No, our heart did it. Our mind did it. Everything did it. And so we need to make a decisive cut that we don't toe the line of unrighteousness, but rather we flee that line altogether. Because once part of us is in it, all of us is in it. And we need to be careful. And why, why does that matter? Because Paul will tell us in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, that our bodies are a temple to God. That if you believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you. The very presence of God lives in you. And your body is a temple. And as a result, we must not misuse our temple, the, the temple of God, and unite it with sin in any sort of way. We need to make sure that it is continuously honoring God rather than honoring ourselves. Church, we need to be careful with our sin. Do you think about your sin? Or do you just kind of simply gloss over it as if it's no big deal? Paul's saying that we can't gloss over it. We need to take it seriously. So seriously, it actually killed Christ. It put him on the cross. So how do we take it seriously? We need to recognize the sin that is in our life. And then we need to put barricades up against it. You know, some of us in here deal with lust. And so we need to recognize the place in which we lust. And we need to begin to put barricades up against it. If it's TV shows, we need to make sure we're not watching those shows. If it's certain locations, we need to make sure that we go around them. Maybe lust isn't your issue. Maybe it's money. Maybe you just love spending money. And you're not thinking about how do I use my money for, for God's glory, but you're using it for your own. And, and what we need to do is we need to safeguard ourselves and we need to get ourselves on a budget and we need to begin to pray and ask God, how can I use my money? And maybe we need to get rid of our credit card. I'm not saying credit cards are bad. I, I've got one. I love it. I get bonus points. Thank you, right? It's awesome. But some of us can't handle a credit card. And we need to cut that thing up. Because all in the end, when we stand before God, all we're going to have is trinkets to show. Rather than the fact that we joined him in his mission and seeing the good news of Christ go forward. And others of us, maybe it's drinking that we're caught up in. And, and if that's the case, then we need, to, we need to pull back from those places or those friends or, or whatever it is that is leading us away from God. And we need to just put a barricade up and say, I can't handle that. I can't go there. 
You see, Paul is saying that we must not play with sin. Sin is fire and you always get burned. But, there's, but there is a way out. The first way is to recognize that there is power from God to flee unrighteousness. But we can't stop there. We actually have to have God's power to live and walk in a different direction. And that's what Paul shows us secondly, that God's dominion doesn't just set us free from unrighteousness, but it sets us free to righteousness. It sets us free to live in the ways of God. It's not enough to just take off. We actually have to put on. If we don't put something in its place, something will always fill the gap. You know, so often we think, as long as I'm not sinning, then I'm okay. As long as I'm not, you know, if you have a number line, as long as I'm not negative 10 and I'm at zero, then I'm good. No, God is offering so much more. He wants to bring us to positive 10 so that we might experience the joy and blessing of following him. And church, the sooner we do that, the better. The 17th century Puritan Thomas Brooks wrote a book called Apples of Gold. And in that book, he argues for young men to pursue God with all that they have early so that the older you get, you can kind of reap the benefits. Because some of you know, I'm not, I'm not uh, making fun, but some of you know you've got less energy today than you did when you were my age. And I know I've got less energy today than when my kids are around, you know, when I was my kid's age. And so Brooks is trying to encourage us, take sin seriously today. Don't put it off. Live for Christ today. And he actually had, listen to this quote he, that he says about our sin to try to encourage us to live for Christ today. He says, pleasure is a beautiful harlot sitting in her chariot whose four wheels are pride, gluttony, lust, and idleness. The two horses pulling the chariot are prosperity and abundance. The two drivers of this chariot are idleness and security. Her attendants and followers are guilt, grief, late repentance, if any, and oft death, death and ruin. Listen to this. Many great men and women, many strong men, many rich men, many hopeful men, many young men have come to their ends by her but never enjoyed full satisfaction and content in her. You understand what he's saying? And pleasure looks beautiful, but it always leads you away from true satisfaction, true joy in Jesus Christ. So we've got to put off, and we've got to put on. We have to put on a different way of living. And look with me in the second half of verse 13. 
Instead, we present ourselves to God. We need to realize that all of our energy, all of our life is not meant for ourselves, but is meant to be presented to God, meant to be lived for God, meant to be about God. And yet Jesus tells us that if we do that, he tells us in Matthew 19, 29, that if we do that, he says, anyone who has left houses or fathers or mothers or children or brothers or sisters or lands will receive a hundredfold blessing and inherit eternal life. So maybe you're thinking, okay, do I really want to follow Jesus because it feels like by doing so, I'm going to give up all of these things of the world. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's like giving up, if you're a car person, it's like giving up a Ford Pinto to get a Chevy Corvette. It's like giving up vacationing in Shemokin or vacationing in the Bahamas. And if you're from Shemokin, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to bag on anybody. But you know, you're not wanting to vacation in Shemokin. You're wanting to vacation in the Bahamas, right? That's the reality. That we have to realize that when we follow Jesus Christ, we get so much more in life. And so he's calling us to present our members to God, to give our entire life to God. And yet, my fear is that we do this passively. My fear is that we, we know that we should live for God, but we just kind of respond or we just kind of react to life rather than actively pursuing who God is. And the reality is, is I can see who your God is when trial comes. If you are a reactor, all I got to do is just wait until suffering happens. And I will see all of the stuff that comes out of you. Jesus says out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I'll see all that comes out of you and I'll begin to see what is actually your God. So instead of reacting, we've got to actually prepare. We've got to actually dig into God's word. We've got to actually begin to live for God so that when the trial comes and we get squeezed, what oozes out is a love for Jesus rather than a love for ourselves. I mean, just go back to my my brother-in-law. Like, why go to basic training? Why not just say, hey, we will call you. Thanks for signing up. We will call you when a war happens. And when a war happens, we'll call you, we'll tell you where to go, and we'll just go. Anyone feel comfortable if the army did that? No, right? We want them to practice. Because when you're in war, you don't get a time out. You don't get the ability to say, hold on. We now need to deliberate about our next steps. The only thing you get is a split-second decision on what to do. And so, church, we've got to be a people who are actively presenting our members to God. Actively. And he doesn't say members. Did you notice that? It's not members. It's yourself, your very self. We have got to be active in presenting ourselves to God. Not just hoping that it happens. 
But how do we do that? Well, notice what he says. That we live as those who have been brought from death to life. We first live in the reality that if we believe in Jesus Christ, we recognize that we have life with God, life forever. And if we see that life, it should change everything about us. I think I referenced this last week, but, but instead of seeing Jesus as an added thing to our lives, we should actually see him as the center hub to the wheel of our life, that everything else in our life are the spokes that come from the hub of Jesus Christ. And we should begin to live for him in those ways. And one of the ways that we do that is that we realize that if I'm living for God every day is a massive treasure hunt. Have you ever thought about that? That if you're alive to God, every day should be a massive treasure hunt where we're excited and we're on the lookout for where our Father is working and we want to join our Father in his work. I remember as a little kid, my dad owns his own business, and I remember uh, as a real little kid, as I got older, my attitude changed, but as a little kid, I remember days off of school. Man, we would get up early, we'd get work clothes on, I would hop into the truck with my dad, and we'd drive down the road to work. And I was excited. I got to be with my dad. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, every day is that for you and I. We get to be with our dad. And so we should wake up and ask him, what do you have for me today? I don't need to worry about tomorrow. I just need to worry about today. And what do you have for me today? And then we should be a people who actually begin to use our, our energy and our time and our, and our money and begin to submit that to Jesus because we know what he has for us today is better than any plan we would have had. But what's the power that we have to do this? Like, how do we actually wake up and do this with our life? Well, Paul shows us that at the end, and that is the third point, which is God's dominion is actually built on his grace. The power for us to, to be free from this unrighteousness and be free to live righteously is because we have grace from God. And so we need to run to that grace and we need to experience that grace and we need to ask for help from Christ in that grace. Look at verse 14. Paul shows us this grace. He starts by saying, For sin will have no dominion over you. That if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, sin will have no reign no rule over you. You are under Jesus. You are set free. Richard Gamble in his, uh, in his book, The Whole Council of God, says it like this. He says, that is not an imperative. That is not a command. That is not a future blessing. 
It's a statement of fact. It is a truth right now. Sin is not your king, is not your ruler if you submit it to Jesus Christ. You are free, church. You are free to actually live for him. Listen to what John Flavel, the 17th century English Presbyterian said. Very short, but very powerful. He says, when Christ takes the throne, sin quits. I just love that. When Christ reigns, sin is no match. It's gone. It's done for. And how does that happen? Well, Paul shows us here at the end of 14. He says, since you are no, since you are not under law, but under grace. This happens because the God of all grace, knowing our sin, knowing our rebellion, sent his son Jesus into that. Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that Jesus did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, to be held onto, but rather he willingly gave that up and took on flesh this weakness that we have. He took it on and then he obeyed the law perfectly and instead of claiming the right to that perfection, which is an eternity without pain and suffering with God forever, he actually took on death. He took your death, my death. He took that on himself so that he might pay that penalty of sin. But he didn't just stay there. He actually rose from the dead to the point that Paul tells us that Christ now reigns and rules so that every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth might bend and every tongue might confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Church, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have a king that has defeated sin, a king that has defeated death, a king that has defeated anything else that leads you away from God, and he is now reigning and ruling, and he is empowering you by his spirit, and so you don't have to keep giving yourself into sin. You don't have to mope around as if this sin is the final word on your life. As if there's no hope to fight it, to resist it. You and I have power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working through us to change us and give us new life. We actually can fight. The question is, are we going to fight? You know one of the ways that we fight? Actually, I think there's two primary ways that we fight that we fail to remember regularly. We have the Holy Spirit, so we don't fight in our own power. And we have the corporate body of Christ. So often we're afraid of sharing our failure with one another. With one another. We're so afraid 
of what others might think or, or how others might respond. <laughs> little secret, if there's a pulse, they're in the same position as you are, a sinner in need of a savior. And so God has designed his church that we come together, we commit to one another, we say, I need you in my life to speak truth into me, to show me where I am wandering from God, to speak that truth, not gossip to everybody else about, did you hear what Sally did? I don't, I don't think there's a Sally. So did you hear what Sally did? No, we go to that person and we say, I'm concerned for you. Let's walk in the ways of Jesus Christ. And we do that not out of judgment, but we do that out of love. We do that out of sharpening because you need that, but I need that. I need to regularly be stand corrected so that I might follow the ways of God. The question really is, are we going to begin to see sin the way that God sees it? That it is enslaving, that it is a power over our lives that needs to be removed by the power of the cross of Jesus Christ? Or are we going to continue to dabble in sin hoping we don't get burned? Hoping that those around us don't get burned. You know, so often we, we, don't, we don't speak into other people we're afraid. What's the alternative? Jesus tells us in Matthew 5 that if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out because it's better for you to go into heaven without an eye than for your whole body to be sent into hell because you've chosen sin over Christ. Church, my plea for you this morning is that we don't choose sin over Christ. There is a way out. If you're not a follower of Christ, there is a way out. And the way out is just come to faith. Just trust, just, just put it down that you can't do it, but Christ has. If you are a follower of Christ, the way out is to remember that he's given the Spirit to empower you, and he's placed you in a body of followers of Jesus Christ to sharpen you, to help you, to point you back to truth. That's why we gather each week. And so again, the question comes down to, which one is more beautiful to you? Jesus Christ? Or your sin? My hope is that you see the beauty of Jesus and the hope and life that he gives. Let's pray. Fathers, we come before you this morning. We, we recognize that in our own body there is this weakness. There is this fleshliness. There are these passions that wage war against us that, that we so often buy into, that I so often buy into, thinking that by doing so, I get life. By doing so, I 
can find joy. Father, I pray that you would help us to recognize sin for what it is, that it is uh, destructive, that we would hate it, that we would fight it, and that we would link arms together to fight it. Lord, that we would take you seriously, recognizing that life with you is so much greater, so much better. So, Father, help us, empower us by your Spirit. May we become a church body together that, that begins to sharpen one another, calling each other out to live for you, because we know that in you is our only source of hope and life. We pray in your Son's precious name. Amen.